Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor for Information Security Media Group. I'm speaking about the new Dooku 2.0 malware with Gavin O'Gorman from the Dublin Semantic Response Team. Gavin, thanks for joining me today. No problem. Thanks, Matt. I noticed that Kaspersky, Crisis Labs in Hungary, and also Semantic debuted research reports on Dooku 2 on the same day. What can you tell me about the effort that's gone into researching this attack already? Sure. Kaspersky approached us around a week and a half ago, and they, they basically shared information with us. So we do cooperate with you know the other AV vendors and so on quite a bit. In this case, I think it was particularly serious because obviously if Kaspersky had been compromised by these attackers, then there was a concern that uh, other security vendors would, would have been compromised as well. So Kaspersky contacted us. They shared some samples with us, uh, informed us about how uh, their own network had been compromised, and asked us to verify their findings, and also shared enough information with us so that we could start putting protection in place to protect both Semantic and, of course, our, our customers as well. So. The connection with the crisis laboratory is also quite interesting because they were the people who found the first Dooku. So the first Dooku malware uh, was located in an organization in Hungary. and They contacted the crisis laboratory and the crisis guys investigated. And then they, when they were in the middle of their investigation, they started to realize there were similarities with Stuxnet. And at that point, they contacted the researchers within Symantec who had done work on Stuxnet, and so that kind of began our cooperation. So there's been, I suppose, a, a degree of cooperation between Crisis and Symantec and Kaspersky in researching Dooku, this new version of Dooku, and to a lesser extent, uh, Stuxnet as well. So that's, that's essentially how we ended up beginning our, our work on it. So we've been working on it for a week and a half now. Our priority is always to put in protection, make sure customers are protected, and then start trying to identify you know, who has been compromised, when they were compromised, and try and build a profile, basically, of the type of victim. The more information we get about the attackers, we're in a better position to inform our customers and tell them who may or may not be potential targets and how to defend against it as well. Can you speak at all about the number of customers that you might have found infected or who they were? Kaspersky said they saw infections related, for example, to Iranian nuclear talks with the P5 plus 1 group. So to date, we have identified approximately six compromised customers. We are still investigating, so I expect that number might go up a little bit, only a small, small amount, I suspect. So I would imagine we'll probably have in or around 10 customers, maybe, that we believe are compromised we did not see the uh, Iran targeting that Kaspersky documented. That's not particularly surprising, you know, given the nature of these type of attacks because they are so very focused. It's really difficult to sometimes see the exact same targeting between different security companies because we all have our own separate customer bases. For example, Kaspersky will have customers in Iran uh, and Symantec uh, will not have customers in Iran. So in that case, in our, our own particular installation base, we didn't see Iranian victims. Rather, we saw telecommunications companies. So two telecommunications companies uh, appear to have been compromised. And we suspect that it's likely that those companies were compromised in order for the attackers to potentially tap conversations, so phone conversations, uh, similar to what we saw with the Regan malware, that type of eavesdropping attack. 
and that was two of the victims. Another of the victim was a telecommunications equipment manufacturer. So basically, they make they make security devices for networks. So that may have been the case. The attackers were looking to possibly put a backdoor into those devices or look for vulnerabilities on those devices. Or who knows, it may, they may have even been interested in the people who are purchasing those devices. So those were the uh, three we were able to identify. We weren't able to identify the other remaining three victims, unfortunately. You mentioned the Regan malware. That was an interesting case of multiple security firms also going public with their research on the same day. And some critics said, well, how is it that we didn't know about it until then, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of security experts said it's because we've been working together that we were able to come out with such a complete picture, which is still an incomplete picture, of what was happening. Was that similar to what happened here with the second version of Dooku? The Regan investigation had been going on for quite some time uh, because the malware was so complicated and it basically took a long time to actually reverse engineer it and understand how it worked. Uh, with the Dooku investigation, it was quite a short time frame. And I believe that was partly because Kaspersky found a zero day in the malware and they notified Microsoft. And so then Microsoft, of course, put out their patch. And I think Kaspersky were keen to make sure as soon as that patch was published that there would be some documentation, there would be some information about the zero day so people would know where that came from and how it was being used. And so that was the reason they published in a fairly quick manner. And the same for us as well. So we were keen to publish quickly on this. And what can you tell me about that zero-day vulnerability? It's in the Windows kernel? Yeah, exactly. So the way the attackers move across the network is very smart. So a lot of the time when we are trying to, for example, investigate an attack, one of the most valuable sources of data is to perform a forensic analysis on a compromised computer. We can retrieve you know, files which have been left behind by the attackers and, and so on. The Duke 2.0 malware is extremely intelligent in how they use it. There is no persistence mechanism in the malware. So that means there's no way for it to start when the computer is restarted. If the computer is infected with the Duke.b malware, when that computer is restarted, the infection is basically removed. So what the attackers do is they will find a server on the victim network, so some computer that they know is very unlikely it's going to be turned off. They infect that machine, and then every time that they want to access a particular machine, they go and they reinfect it. And this zero day is one of the tools that they use when they're doing that. By the zero day, basically, they can get onto the victim machine. Once they're on the victim machine, that zero day is loaded, and it basically escalates the privileges of that malware to run in the kernel memory. So basically, it gives it administrative rights effectively so that it can, for example, embed itself deep within the, the Windows system and prevent itself being detected as much as possible. So that's you know a very smart trick, and it's a, it's a nice way of trying to prevent investigators from following back on the kind of tracks of the attackers. Now, there's been some discussion that Dooku appears to be related to Stuxnet, Goss, Flame. What can you say about that? We are fairly confident, well, we are very confident, basically, that the Flame malware was a very early version of a espionage tool and that the Stuxnet tool, there are versions of the Stuxnet tool which were essentially based on that kind of Flame development. Platform. So basically, you can think of it as programmers have written some tool, 
and they have used the tool for one thing, for, say, espionage gathering intelligence. And then because they'd written that tool, they simply moved over the logic of attacking the uranium enrichment uh, facility, the logic of that to that tool, and then they continued to use it. Over time, then, they decided, we don't know why, that they wanted to move to a different type of framework. So they rewrote a new tool and incorporated logic for attacking the uranium enrichment facility again. So basically, that was Flame moved on to Stuxnet, and that Stuxnet platform became Duke as well. So they repurposed that for intelligence gathering. So basically, there's kind of a, a trail of common code between Flame, Stuxnet, and Duke which is quite trackable, you know, it's quite clear that there's shared bits of code between these different versions of the, the backdoors. Microsoft just patched one of the zero-day vulnerabilities that was used by the attackers. So I'd say there's probably an urgency for people to patch their Windows installations. Yeah, absolutely. It, it is a serious uh, zero-day. It's an escalation of privilege zero-day. So an attacker can use that to, once they're on a machine, then they can gain administrative rights. It's not a remote access zero day, so it's not the most serious type of zero day, but it certainly does warrant patching of your computer all right. Now, if the team behind Flame and then Stuxnet and then Dooku has been able to keep reusing this code, and in the case of the latest version of Dooku, get it onto Target's computers by using a zero day attack, is there anything to prevent them from reusing the code for, say, a Dooku version 3? I suspect that they will probably, at this stage, because they've been effectively caught uh, so kind of obviously by Kaspersky, I think that they will probably rewrite as much of the code as possible. Certainly it seems that the doq.b version, they clearly modified versions of it to prevent antivirus detecting it and so on. But I think if they want to remain active, and it's, you know, I mean, obviously these type of attackers, they're not going to go away they are going to keep remaining active and gathering intelligence using these tools because, well, it's, it's a very low-cost way for them to you know, gather intelligence and it's extremely difficult to attribute the actual attacks back to anyone. So for attackers, it's a fantastic way to gather intelligence. So I think they're going to keep going. They're always going to be present. But I think that they are probably going to try and modify their malware or else completely rewrite it so that uh, there's no ties back to the um, older DQ variants. Because once you can tie a particular malware family back to older versions, then of course you have all of the data on those older versions that you can use to try and figure out who's being targeted and why they're being targeted. Any final thoughts to offer about this attack? The interesting part, I think, really, is that they were the, the goal of attacking a security company uh, and what clearly is a nation-state attacker going after a private company like a security company who is, you know, meant to be trying to protect customers and so on is quite, as I say, galling, I think. Gavin, thanks very much for taking the time to speak with me today. No problem. You're welcome, Matt. For Information Security Media Group, this is Matt Schwartz. Thanks for joining us.